Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. I'm glad you're here. We have a special presentation today. Uh, I did a talk to South Africa, so uh, we'll just uh, jump right to the top. I'm bringing you Shiorim lectures and a whole lot of um, support structures, really, at this very, very interesting and tumultuous time where we're really all navigating this, um, this very crazy period in our lives together. And uh, a huge ashokwach and a special, special thank you um, to David Sachs for being, being with us tonight. Um, David, you. You, your face and certainly your name is very lovingly remembered by all of us um, from your time here um, at uh, Sinai and Daba with those massively packed halls um, (laughs) where we all want to hear um, from the person who wrote The Simpsons, who got a Golden Globe Award, who wrote from, you know, who wrote um, in the satirical uh, Harvard Review magazine. um, But most of all, who, with all of that, is an observant Jew and um, who has some not only humorous, but very powerful lessons to teach us. We are so grateful for um, coming on tonight. We know there's like a 10 hour time difference from your home in LA. And um, we, we so appreciate your, your tremendous support for our community. Just before you begin, I also want to hugely acknowledge Jolene Swartz for putting this all together. Jolene's just one of those people that just gets it perfectly right. And uh, international people from all over the world just cannot say no to her because of her commitment to community. And I also want to just acknowledge and thank Panina Froome for her help in getting this event together. I have no doubt everyone will enjoy. Keep well and keep safe. And David, over to you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for that introduction. And uh, just you you should know that... um, our visit, my wife and I's visit to, to South Africa uh, r- remains just one of the highlights of our lives. Uh, we just, just were astounded by just the beauty of the community and the warmth of the community and the hospitality was just beyond, 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 beyond. So, um, so, so, so thank you to you. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you to Jolene. Thank you for the firms, like just everyone. So the topic today is building your child, yourself, and the world. And um, what I really want to talk about uh, is just a, a general attitude moving forward in life. Um, and it's something that uh, is, is really all-encompassing because, because this is going to influence how we relate to our children and, and what kind of lives we ourselves are living and of course, all of this influences the world around us. And um, and I think that the starting point that 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 I that I'd like to begin with. Um, and again, let, let me just reiterate that point again because I, I I really think that this is very important. My um, my goal for our time together, and I'm going to leave some time uh, for questions at the end. So if you have any questions, please jot them down. Um, my, my goal for our time together is really to um, envision an atmosphere, that, that more than anything. But, but, you know, when you create an atmosphere, there have to be certain elements in place. Imagine you want to um, serve an elegant dinner. Well, perhaps candlelight would, would add to it. Perhaps 
a tablecloth would add to it. Perhaps nice dishes would add to it. All these things go to create an atmosphere. So what are what is the tablecloth and the candlelight, so to speak? What are those things in terms of our attitudes? How can we, through the way that we think and interact with each other, create that beautiful atmosphere so that wherever we go, whenever we're relating to ourselves or to our children or the people around us, that beautiful atmosphere is present. So, so you know, a lot of people just think, well, it either happens or it doesn't happen. But I don't think that that's the Torah approach. I think the Torah approach is, is that we can actually be a little bit systematic and methodical about it, that we have the power to create that atmosphere. And so that's what I want to discuss today. I want to discuss certain, certain points um, that, that will create this. So without further ado, let's jump in to, I think, maybe perhaps uh, one of the most important things. And that is a view of the world in general. And I think that a lot of people have what, what, what I would suggest is a mistaken understanding of the beginning of the world. And what I mean by that is, I think that a lot of people think that in the Garden of Eden, everything was absolutely perfect, and then we messed it up, and we're spending till Mashiach comes trying to fix that which we messed up. I, I, I think more or less this is what most people think. And my Rebbe said something so amazing, like once you hear this, you can never stop thinking about it. He says, if the Garden of Eden was so perfect, you ready? If the Garden of Eden was so perfect, what was the snake doing there? It's a very good question, no? So what I would like to suggest, and again, this is toward creating, I think, a, a more emistic, a, a more true understanding of what we're doing in this world and what this world is all about and what our, our lives are all about, is that the reason why there's imperfection in the world, the reason why there are problems in the world, is because on a very deep level, the world isn't finished yet. And I made a little video. It's like a one-minute video. And I've never tried to actually show a video on Zoom. But with my, with my great help with Jolene, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to pull off this technical triumph. So please stay tuned for this one-minute video. Okay, hopefully, hopefully it's still going to happen. <laughs> Is it playing? Can you give me a thumbs up if it's playing? No. Okay. Everyone has the same question. If there's a God, why is the world so messed up? The answer is that the world isn't finished yet. 
Imagine you walk into the kitchen and there's a glass bowl with brownie mix and a raw egg on top. And you dip your fingers into the bowl and say, ugh, these brownies are terrible. And the person says, uh, yeah, that's because they aren't done yet. So it is with this world. It isn't finished yet. An architect imagines the finished house before he starts his work, and then he sets about to make it. That's how it was with God. First, he imagined a perfect world with no war or hatred or hunger, and that's why we were created, to be partners with God, to finish the world. That means all of our actions have exquisite meaning. So when we see injustice, roll up your sleeves. It means there's still work to do. So what do you say? Let's finish the job. Okay, terrific. Um, hopefully we got back up the point across. I, I, I wrote and made that movie uh, with my son's high school and, uh, and Dan Palmer. And hopefully, hopefully that got the point across. That we're still, that, that God made us partners with him to finish the world. Now, again, we're talking about creating an atmosphere. And um, I believe you, you have this store in, in South Africa as well. I know we have it in America and it's all over the world. And it's called IKEA. And you see, with IKEA, the idea is that you get a box and all the elements are in the box and then you assemble, you assemble the box. And, and I think in terms of our attitude, um, toward ourselves, toward our children, that we should have the IKEA mindset as opposed to the perfection mindset. And, and I'll tell you the difference because this is, this is one of the main points that I'd like to make while we're together today. There's, there's a way of going through life where we expect at all times perfection from ourselves. And since our children are our offspring. If we're trying to be perfect, then they must be perfect as well. And it leaves very little room for our own humanity and our own imperfection. Now, Shlomo Amelech, the wisest person, said, there's no person, no, no tzaddik, that doesn't make a mistake. In other words, we can approach life with the idea of that we're perfect and we're supposed to be perfect. And every time that we make a mistake, it's a disaster since we're supposed to be perfect. And that we can expect our children to, to be like this as well. And therefore there's tremendous amount of pressure and tension in the household because this standard of perfection is what is uh, expected at all times. Or we can listen to the words of Shlomo Amelech, and we can understand that the tzaddik, the righteous person, falls down seven times and gets back up. So if you were to ask me before I learned that, what's the definition of a tzaddik? I would have told you a tzaddik is someone who never makes a mistake. And now Shlomo Amelech, who knows more than all of us, right, says, no, no, no. The definition of a tzaddik is someone who makes a mistake. Seven times, which in, in my understanding stands for this world, which means 
makes mistakes on a regular basis, but gets back up every single time. You want to know if you're a tzaddik or not? Do you want to raise tzaddikim? If you can impart in your children the fact that we all make mistakes, but that the real measure of a Jew, the real measure of a mensch, the real measure of a person who's really trying is that they keep getting back up. That every mistake, you ready for this? You see, tshuva can be translated as repentance. To my ears, that's a very harsh, very harsh translation. Tshuva means return. Tshuva actually means closeness. So again, here's another yesod, another foundation that we can use to create this loving atmosphere in our homes and in our own lives and in our relationship with Hashem. If we understand that every mistake is just an opportunity to achieve greater closeness. As the Gemara teaches, where a Balchuva stands, a tzaddik can't even stand, meaning to say that a Balchuva is able to reach levels of closeness with Hashem that someone who's never made a mistake can approach. So can you imagine raising your children with this idea and, and, and raising ourselves? Because as long as we're in this world, we can do more. And we should expect more from ourselves until our very last breath which means we're still growing up. I, I, I very much like this model that in terms of parent and child, that, that the child is growing and the parent is overseeing the child's spiritual and, and, and intellectual and, and emotional development. That, that's all true. But if you stop right there and you imagine that the model between parent and child is the parent is the supervisor and the child is the one under supervision, then I think you've created a very incomplete and, and potentially hazardous environment. If the parent understands themselves as someone who's also continuing to grow, well, then you have a relationship between two people who are in the process of growing. That, that's, do you understand? That's a very different atmosphere. That's a very different relationship. The parent is making mistakes and using those opportunities to grow closer. The child is understanding that if they make a mistake, it's not the end of the world. That it's just another opportunity to grow closer. And this is what I mean, that the world is still being created. And this is what I mean by this IKEA theory that we understand that we're not completed structures from birth and that our job is to make sure that no one damages like when you buy a new sofa right it's like you're on full guard no one should be drinking chocolate milk on that sofa that is your full-time job right because it is a work of perfection your new sofa and it must be guarded and protected at all costs but I don't think that's our lives. I, I don't think the sofa metaphor or visual is really our lives. I think our lives is that box that we get from IKEA where the elements are there 
and then we just have to build it. That, that all of life for ourselves and for our children is this, that process of building. And if we view ourselves in that way, then we don't get overly attached and we don't get overly upset if something doesn't go our way because we understand, okay, it's the building process. I, I'll, I'll tell you a true Ikea story from my life, okay? I bought a simple bookshelf. It was just a rectangle with shelves. It was, there was nothing fancy about it. It was the most basic structure in the world. And I got too smart for my own good. I just, I got it and I'm not the most handy person to begin with, but I thought, okay, this is very elementary. Anyone can build this. It's a simple rectangle with a few shelves and there was an elaborate set of instructions and I disregarded them completely. And I thought I can do this on my own. And I achieved partial success. I, I got it standing with the shelves there. And within a minute, and I'm, I, this happened to me, this is not an exaggeration. Within a minute, the shelf, the, the entire structure folded in on itself and collapsed and broke in front of my eyes. Because I didn't read the instructions. So if, if life is a box from Ikea, if ourselves and our children in this world, right, is just this unbelievably, unbelievably beautiful structure waiting to be built. In other words, it's not already built. And our job is just not to mess it up. From the very outset, Hashem's intention was for it to be built and for us to all build it together. Well. I got to follow the instructions, don't I? I can't just do it intuitively. I'll get certain things right, right? Certain mitzvahs that I know not to steal, not to murder. I'll, I'll get certain things right. But the length and the breadth of it, that thing that will keep it upright, I need the mitzvahs. I need the Torah. Those are the instructions. I heard Rabbi Matas Yahu Solomon say so beautifully, he said that, he and his wife bought a new blender. He, by the way, in case you don't know, is the mashkiach of the Lakewood Yeshiva, one of the greatest yeshivas in the entire world. He's the, the spiritual head of it. And um, he said that he and his wife bought a blender and it came with a 32-page set of instructions. And his wife, and he said, if a blender comes with a 32-page set of instructions. Is it possible that the world doesn't come with a set of instructions? Right? And of course it does. And of course that's the Torah. Okay. Now I want to go on to the next point. Again, I'm not trying to communicate information here. I'm trying to talk about when we set that table, when we want to create an atmosphere for a beautiful dinner, we have the tablecloth and we have the dishes and we have the candlelight. It's also beautiful and it adds so much. It transforms the entire atmosphere. What I'm talking about is these ideas, the idea that we're fallible, that, that when, when, we, when we make a mistake, that it, it actually is an opportunity for greater closeness with Hashem, that, that we don't start off as perfect and we have to guard that perfection. Rather, rather the world is starting off from a standpoint of, of us building it together and that there's progress to be made, and that 
we as parents are also making progress. We're not just supervisors. These are all different ideas that are going to create this atmosphere that I'm talking about. And now I'm going to tell you another one. Now, if you were to walk up to people and ask them why they're Jewish, um, I think that most people would tell you, well, okay, you know, um, I'm Jewish because my mother is Jewish and her mother was Jewish, right? My parents back from the generations. And when I was born, so to speak, it was tag, you're it, now you're a Jew, right? You're born, you were born from a Jew, now you're a Jew. Okay, it's, is it, is it incorrect? Is that answer incorrect? It's not incorrect. Does it fall entirely short of the mark? Yes, it falls entirely short of the mark. Why? Let me tell you why. Because that approach is predicated 100%. In other words, some people go through life dragging the past into the present. I'm going to say that again. Because it's not just about our view about being Jewish. I'm talking about, you know, in a wider context as well. Many, many, many people, I wouldn't hazard to guess the percentage. Many, many, many people go through life and what they're doing is they have their backs to the future and they're dragging the past into the present dragging the past into the present. And this is how they go through life. And this is how they view their own Judaism. And what, it, what is my job as a parent? Well, we're Jews and I'm raising my kids as Jews and I'm gonna drag them, I'm gonna drag all of Jewish history into the present because that's, that's my job. Okay. It's one way of looking at it, but you're not gonna create any atmosphere that way, believe me, you know? There's no tablecloth or dishes or candlelight in that home. <laughs> okay, what's the alternative? Well, how about we try to get the answer from the first Jews? How about Avram and Sarah? If you ask them, how come you're Jewish? They can't give the answer because my parents were Jewish. And they were the first Jews. They're the architects of Judaism. So what's, what's their point of view? Don't you want to know Avram and Sarah's point of view? That's what I want. I want Avram and Sarah's point of view. Well, they're just looking at the future. They're looking at what is the mission of Judaism. The mission of Judaism is the perfection of the world. Nothing short of the transformation and perfection of the entire world. This is our goal as Jews. So you see, actually, Judaism is a very radical, forward-thinking theology. And we all have a job to do. And all of the previous generations, all of the previous generations are rooting us on, finish the job, finish the job. Not just continue and keep us alive, drag us into the present. No, 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 no. Finish the job. <laughs> Finish fixing the world. Now, I'll tell you why this is so important. Can you imagine, again, I don't know why I'm 
thinking about the kitchen and food and the household here. But again, we're trying to create, what if I tell you, here's a completed cake. It's a beautiful cake. It's got all the frosting on it and, and everything like that. Here's your job. Guard the cake. <laughs> Don't let anyone touch the cake. All right, I'm going to get pretty bored pretty fast. How about this version? Here's your job. Make the cake. <laughs> Finish the cake. The greatest people in the world have been working on this cake. Finish the cake. Oh, you mean I have something to do? Not just stand around and guard the thing? I have a job and I get to see it to its completion? Well, now I'm empowered. Now I'm energized. Now I'm looking forward to progress and success. I have a role to play in the world. I matter. Do, do you see how huge all of these things are? Do you see how this changes the entire atmosphere? I'm looking forward in the most beautiful, meaningful, significant way. So we can do that with our kids. And we can do that with ourselves. Right? Because if I'm on the journey too, my children sense that they're on the journey with me. And again, that gets back to this idea of this contrast that I'm trying to suggest. Not to look at yourself as the supervisor and the child as the supervisee, right? It's true on some level, but if that's the extent of our vision, of our household, of our home, we're not going to make it. But if we are dynamic participants in trying to achieve this end, this beautiful destiny of the world, if, if it can be realized through us and our children are seeing that we're working toward it, then they're excited too and they want to work toward it as well. Because what could be better than fixing the entire world? So I want to, um, I want to transition now to another one of these crucial elements. Um, of creating this atmosphere, of building this atmosphere. Um, and, and that's this element of trust. And do you know, I heard this idea from Rabbi Cordoza, and I, I love it very much. And, and let me share it with you. Do you know, just practically speaking, how important fire is in terms of creating things? Like, um, for instance, all metallurgy, if you want to make anything out of metal, form anything like, you know, like how fundamental is shaping metal in terms of building the world, building society, from making tools to building skyscrapers to making computer chips. I mean, it's, it's like you can't do anything unless you're really forming metal. Well, where does it start? Well, you got to get the metal out of a rock, don't you? And how does that start? Well, you need a fire. It, everything begins with fire. Um, so, so let's contrast the Torah view of how mankind got fire and how the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, trace getting fire. Okay? Because you'll see they're diametrically opposite accounts. 
So let's start with the Greek account. The Greek account is there was this, um, this person uh, named Prometheus. And Prometheus snuck into the bedroom of the gods, right? And stole fire, right? It was not to be shared with humankind because it was too dangerous, right? Because fire can destroy. So keep it out of the hands of humans. So Prometheus snuck in and he stole fire and he brought it back home. And I'll just tell you as a PS, what was Prometheus's punishment? He's chained to this rock and these massive birds are coming and they're eating his kidneys from either side every single day in this sort of horrific torture. And then guess what? The kidneys grow back and they come and they peck away and they eat his kidneys again. And this is his punishment for having the temerity, right? The, the chutzpah. I'm sure the Greeks didn't use that word, but we'll use it. The chutzpah to steal fire. Why? Because it's so dangerous. What's the Torah account? The Torah account is that after the first Shabbos, by the way, I don't know if everybody knows this, but everybody knows that um, mankind, man and woman, um, were created on the sixth day of creation. And of course, we ate from the tree of knowledge on that same day. And, and of course, we were, you know, escorted out of the Garden of Eden or told that we had to. But here's a detail that many people don't know. Hashem, in his kindness, let us stay in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, that Shabbos. We spent that first Shabbos in the Garden of Eden. And after Shabbos ended, Hashem gave us fire. And this is one of the many beautiful levels of Havdalah. That when we have the service of Havdalah after Shabbos, that fire sort of correlates with the time that we received fire as a gift from God. Do you hear the difference? I haven't fully communicated yet, but, but do you already hear the contrast? By the Greeks, humans stole fire and the gods, quote-unquote, um, obviously all made up, but the gods, quote-unquote, didn't share it with humans because it was too dangerous. But look at how much Hashem loves us. And more importantly, more to the point, look at how much Hashem trusts us, that he understands that all tremendous progress in the world will require fire, and that it can be misused terribly, and that he trusted us that we'd, we would use it wisely. And so, and so I offer this as another, again, not as a piece of information, not as an interesting, you know, study in religions, right? That's, I'm not trying to communicate information. By the way, my, my Rebbe, my teacher, said to me, do you know the difference between a rabbi and a Rebbe? I thought this was an interesting idea. He says, a rabbi tells you something you didn't know before. A Rebbe connects you to the deepest place within yourself. 
You see, I'm not offering this as information. I'm offering this again as a way to travel through life. And one of these foundations is that we trust each other, that we that there's a spirit of trust between us and our children, between us and our spouses. And you know what? Maybe, maybe the deepest between us and ourselves that we're going to do the right thing, even if we make a mistake, even if we make a mistake, that we'll use it as an opportunity to come even closer to God. Now, I want to talk about something else now in the spirit of this atmosphere. And um, I think this is a very visual idea. Uh, I work in animation now. And, um, you know, I'm always kind of thinking of imagery, you know, because that's kind of my job. And so here's a, a visual that I'd like to suggest to you. Um, so how do we travel through life? We've talked about like, uh, you know, certain, certain key ideas that if we're, if we're on this journey to the perfection of the world, right? If the world isn't finished yet and we're, we're on our way to, to the end. So we have to pack a suitcase, right? And in our suitcase, we have to have trust and the idea that we're fallible, but our mistakes will only bring us closer, that, that we're not just supervisors, that we ourselves are, are striving to get better and, and, uh, and all the other things that we talked about today. But that's what goes into the suitcase, so to speak. That's the tablecloth and the candles and the china. But how do we get there, right? That's what we bring along with us. But what about the traveling itself through life? So now I want to talk about the traveling itself through life. And what I would like to suggest is, it's all about, you ready? It's all about kaleidoscopes and gyroscopes. I'll say that again, kaleidoscopes and gyroscopes. All of life, kaleidoscopes and gyroscopes. So what do I mean by that? So I think everybody knows what a kaleidoscope is. It's that thing, it looks like a, a telescope and you look through it and you turn, you turn the, the, the cylinder and what you see is all these different designs on the other side. It's just constantly creating and recreating beautiful new designs. And it's moving all the time, but you yourself, the one holding it, you're not moving. So what I would like to suggest is that's a very interesting way of viewing life. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. That God is creating new scenery around us all of the time. So imagine you're standing still, okay? But right now I'm in my car and I'm driving. And now God is changing the scene around me. Right now I'm in the supermarket shopping. And now God is changing the scene around me again. Now I'm in school. Now I'm with my family. Now I'm in the office. Now I'm in shul. Right? Now I'm going for a walk. So God is changing the scenery around us. It's like looking through a kaleidoscope. You're standing still. But all these different opportunities, God is creating 
all these different opportunities for us to do something beautiful in. So now what does it mean gyroscopes? Okay, now we're gonna go deeper. So I think again, everybody knows what a gyroscope is, but, but just in case, a, a gyroscope is a, like a spinning top, right? And it spins, but let's say I have a, a top, a regular top, not a gyroscope. Let's say I have a top and I put it say on a book and I'm adjusting the book like this and I flip it in an extreme way, it will topple over, okay? Um, but a gyroscope is very special. A gyroscope, as the terrain changes, the gyroscope has these very sophisticated rings around it, which create the equivalent of a flat equal service. So that no matter how much the external environment changes, the gyroscope is able to maintain a direct steady path. So do you see the contrast? A kaleidoscope suggests that all of life is changing around us all the time. And by the way, it's deeper than just I'm in the office or I'm at home or I'm in the kitchen. It's, it's deeper than that. Because a lot of times the circumstances of our life are changing, right? I'm not a parent, now I'm a parent. I'm maybe I don't have a job right now, now I have a job. Maybe, maybe someone is not feeling that well and now they're feeling well. In other words, there are all sorts of, or I'm, I'm looking for a, a marriage partner right now or what, what, whatever it is. There are all sorts of circumstances that are also changing around us as we go through life. Okay, that's, that's another deeper level of understanding the kaleidoscope. And that's also Hashem trying to create different opportunities for us to come close to him. And oftentimes to fix our own souls. Okay. So now, how am I going to maintain my balance? That's what a gyroscope does. How am I going to maintain my balance during all of those different situations? So we have to understand something. And this is really maybe the key to creating an atmosphere, which is if you're setting the table, you're usually dining with someone, right? Because you're in a relationship. And the main, main, main thing to understand is that we're in a relationship with God and that everything we're doing, we're in a direct relationship with God. The Kojnitzer Rebbe says something so beautiful. Do you know, it's wild. And you have to kind of, hopefully after the talk, you'll take some time to meditate on what I'm about to tell you. It's wild that when we make a blessing to God, we say, Baruch Atah, that we say, blessed are you? How can we possibly have the chutzpah to use the second person? Shouldn't we use the third person? Blessed is Hashem, this rarefied, remote presence that's somewhere in the universe, right? 
We don't say that. Blessed are you, the, the one who's with me right now, in this room right now, with us at all times, always. Blessed are you, Atta. It, it's, it speaks of an outrageous closeness that we have with Hashem at all times. And that's central to getting it. If you want to create that atmosphere, you have to understand, I am in a relationship directly with God every single moment. This was the heartbreak of the whole idea of the golden calf, to think that we needed some sort of intermediary party. We didn't think the golden calf was a god. All the commentators say no one thought it was a god. But we thought that we needed a replacement for Moshe because we were afraid to have that direct relationship with God. We felt like we weren't ready yet. And God thought otherwise. God says, no, you are ready. That's why it was such a problem, because you are ready. You are ready to be in a direct relationship with me. You are ready to see me 24-7 in everything you do, wherever you go. Now, there are all sorts of different relationships. We're talking about the imperative of being in a relationship. We have to be in a relationship. That's the whole secret to the beauty of Judaism. That's why we're doing mitzvahs all the time, because there's all these different opportunities to do something for God, with God, in the moment, all the time. There's no such thing as a secular moment. That's why we have so many mitzvahs, so that we can do something and access this beautiful relationship and be in this beautiful relationship at all times. You ready for the kicker? There is no such thing as a secular moment. There is no such thing, because wherever we go, whatever we do, we're standing before Hashem. And that's great news, because Hashem is the one who loves us the most. Now, there are all sorts of modules, all sorts of paradigms for this relationship. There is the idea of the melech, the king, right? Okay, that's, that, that's true. That's real. This is real. So there's the king, and there's the, the subject. That's real. But there's also the parent and the child. Do you know in Tanakh, it doesn't end there. Do you know in Tanakh, you also have the idea of Hashem as your best friend? Do you know even in Tanakh, I kid you not, there's the idea of the idea that Hashem is your older sister? That's also in Tanakh. That's also another Torah true paradigm. But do you know what Rabbi Akiva calls the holy of holies? Right? Like if you were to ask me, maybe it's parent and child, maybe it's, maybe it's king and subject. You know what it is? Lovers. That that's from Shir Shirim, the Song of Songs. That this level of intimacy between us and God, that this is the highest paradigm. That Hashem desires this closest, this intimate relationship. You know, the Rambam, who we prize as our greatest rationalist. The Rambam himself says that a person has to walk around lovesick with God. Lovesick with God. You talk about creating an atmosphere. You're walking around blowing your mind over the beauty of nature, over the beauty of absolutely everything. That creates an atmosphere. That creates a desire to build. 
Okay, so now let's get back to the idea of the gyroscope. Well, in certain situations, you have to constantly be, you have to read the scene that you're in. That's the kaleidoscope. Am I in the office setting right now? Am I in, am in, in a time of personal challenge right now, right? Because it's not just, it's not just where you are geographically, it's also where you are in life at that moment, right? So you assess, where am I? What is the kaleidoscopic view of my life? And then you have to be the appropriate gyroscope. You have to be the appropriate partner with God, since every stage of your life is another chapter in your relationship with God, which is ever-evolving. Where am I supposed to be? What relationship is being called upon? At this moment, what's, what's the closeness that God desires? Yira, Yira Shamayim, God, you're the king. A sense that I'm being cared for and fed right now? Oh God, you're the parent. The idea that, wow, how could you be so good to me? The idea that at this moment we're lovers and, and you adjust based on the situation that you're in. And this is how I would suggest we travel through life. So again, first we have to create that atmosphere. If we want to build our child, if we want to build ourselves, if we want to build the whole world, we have to understand that the world is in a state of building that we ourselves in our state of building. That's the Ikea model, right? That's the idea that we're not perfect, that we're, we're getting there and we're getting there till our last breaths and not to fall into the trap of ever thinking that we're finished working on ourselves. Because as soon as you think that you're finished, that you're done, that in itself, that thought at that moment is the greatest proof that we aren't done. And so I want to leave some time for questions, but just to conclude, if we can do these things, if we can look forward and understand that God has charged us with the perfection of the world, if we can bring up our, our family with this, if we can radiate and exude these ideas, then we'll be builders. We'll build solid children. We'll build a solid family and we'll build a solid world around us. God willing, we should see the fulfillment of all of these ideas very, very soon. Amen. Such beautiful words, David. Thank you so much. Um, just before the questions, I'd like to say one of the most beautiful things you spoke about was the difference between a rabbi and a rebbe. And when you speak about a rebbe really moving you to understand and to feel your most uh, inner core, I really, really believe you did that for us tonight. So thank you. Um, we will take a few questions. So if you'd just like to put up your hand and unmute yourself, um, Chaya, you're welcome to start. Oh, that, that was just a thumbs up. Um, just unmute yourself and you're welcome to ask a question. Don't, Is anybody? Don't be shy. Don't be shy. 
I, I hear someone, but David, sometimes this is the advantage of a South African audience. I think you saturated us with such such beauty. <laughs> Um, you know, I think I think as parents, um, just the, the the beginning of your idea of of how not being perfect is not only okay, but just helping our children navigate these journeys of life. Which uh, you know, you mentioned the the avot and imahot who all went on physical journeys, but of course um, were metaphorical spiritual journeys as well. And just for our children to know that we're building and they're building and we're building each other. And also, there's always such a generation gap today, especially because of technology between parents and children. But if we're all on the same, possibly wide path, but same path, building together, and really where um, a, a parent can, as you say, be that Rebbe for their children, trust their children, trust their children, even with fire. And the reason why we trust them, because we love them and we've given the tools and we stay right by their side. I think those are some uh, exceptionally deep and very powerful ideas but magnificent ideas to for us to go away with. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And um, uh, again, just, I, I, I mean this really um, from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my, uh, my wife Judy's heart that, that we really still are just glowing from our time in, in South Africa and you know what an extraordinary community you have there and um just whatever you're doing keep on doing it and uh and we'll all meet in 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 Eretz HaKodesh in 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 Israel together very soon yeah amen amen thank you and uh after that and before that we hope you'll uh, come to South Africa as well and to everybody um tonight thank you for joining us and please look out for more Yeshiva College talks really coming to help and serve and, and connect and uh, really inspire community. And thank you for doing that for us tonight, David. Okay. Laila Tov, everybody, and keep mm -hmm. safe and keep well. Thank you. David. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions I'd love to hear him.